It's time for our scripture reading, and uh, you'll find uh, this morning's reading in Matthew chapter 23, 23 to 24-2. In our pew Bibles, you'll see it on page 1035. If you're lucky enough to have the large print edition, then uh, that's page 1537. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything that is unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, well, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from time to time, town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that are sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. 
For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and he was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, Jesus said? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Wasn't that a pleasant scripture reading? I told somebody this morning, I told several people this morning, it'll be a wonder if anyone shows up today between the rain and the time change and the sermon title. <laughs> and now you've heard the scripture reading. And, you know, if you're with us today and you're not a Christian, you're probably like, yep, see? <laughs> this is how these Christian people are. Judgment and fire and brimstone and condemnation. And so glad I showed up today. And uh, we're glad you showed up today. And it's, uh, we've been in this series, The Gospel, since Christmas. And we've talked incessantly about the life that Jesus came to offer and how good it is. And, but we can't finish this telling of the gospel without also talking about the warnings that Jesus issued about the judgment that would come to those who didn't heed his teachings, who didn't obey his teachings, who didn't listen to what he had to say and, and do something about it. It's an integral part, especially as we come up to the next chapter, the last chapter We've kind of divided our huge series into chapters. We started with the arrival of the gospel and then announcing the gospel. And then the last one will be accomplishing the gospel. And we'll kick that off next week. But this week we're going to kind of, it's like a segue. It's a setting the stage. The words that Jesus spoke right before he went to accomplish what he did in his death and resurrection were some of the harshest words that he had spoken. And we heard some of them just a moment ago. Not all warnings are bad, but most of us don't like most warnings, do we? Uh, I grew up in, well, a lot of the time in, in New Mexico. And we didn't have tornado sirens in New Mexico because we didn't have tornadoes. And then I'm, we moved to Oklahoma, and I moved to Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, there are tornado sirens everywhere. And uh, a good thing. <laughs> but what's funny about that is you hear the warning so much. I mean, they practice. <laughs> and then there's endless storms every spring that they just sound a lot. Uh, I don't know if I can speak for most people, but after a while of living there, me and my friends would walk outside when the siren went off to see if we could see the thing. <laughs> you know, hey, where is that thing? You know, can we see it from here? Uh, and then if you see it, then you might take cover. <laughs> but you're looking for it first. Uh, I moved to Springfield, Missouri. They had tornado sirens, and every time there was a tornado warning in that area, it sounded off and, and that was good because there it was a lot more hilly and there's no guarantees you'd step outside and see anything uh, so it was nice to uh, one time they went off in January and I was like 
there's no such thing as tornadoes in January. So I didn't even really pay attention. LSU was playing that night in the championship game. And so it's been a while. Uh, but yeah, you know, I was like, no. And then, yeah, it just barely missed me. Dropped down, you know, I'm on the third story of an apartment and tornado drops down just like a mile away. But anyway, some mornings are good. Then we moved to Louisiana. There's tornadoes, but no sirens, no warnings. <laughs> I've got an app on my phone that's supposed to alert me, but I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> Uh, so that's interesting to me. There's, I've never lived somewhere that had tornadoes that didn't have something to warn you if a tornado was coming. But here we are. <laughs> We're under a, a river flood warning right now. right? And, and that's helpful. It's helpful especially if you live in an area that would be affected by that. you know. And, and hopefully we won't be. Hopefully the levee will hold. <laughs> hopefully we'll be uh, not floating by the end of this service. Some warnings are good. right? I'm, I warn my kids and I think that even though they don't like it, they should be thankful for it because if I didn't warn them, it would just be the wrath. You know? <laughs> There'd be no warning. They'd, just, they don't, they'd have no heads up. Just all of a sudden, here comes dad. You know? um, but no, I said, you better stop that first. right? <laughs> and it gives them a chance. And so warnings, even though they're unpleasant, but all of us kind of respond to warnings differently. Some of us, the tornado siren goes off and we walk outside. Uh, some of us, we get a warning from the police officer and, uh, and then on the next street, we're back to speeding again, <laughs> right? Uh, does, so what do you do with warnings when you receive them? And, and what do you do with the warnings that come from God? How do you treat them? We're going to talk about some of those today, and we're going to talk about specific warnings that Jesus gave to the people of his time. I'm going to warn somebody about that fan. <laughs> it may uh, fall on you and destroy you, so you might want to move. No, I'm just, it's fine. <laughs> Jesus, when he came and set his gaze towards Jerusalem for the last time, said, I'm going to head that way. And it was, it was one of his most triumphant moments. But it also held some of his strongest words that he had ever spoken. It, when he headed towards Jerusalem, things were already tense. We've talked about that a lot throughout this series, how kind of the backdrop to the gospel was this tension in Israel where they hated the Roman oppression. They longed for God's Messiah to show up and deliver them. But they all had different ideas of how that should look. And Jesus didn't fit the description for a lot of them. But for a lot of them, they were hopeful in Jesus. They thought, this is the guy. Look at all the signs and wonders he's performing and as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, it is the Passover festival is about to take place and crowds of Jews from all over, not just Israel, but beyond. And even Gentiles who adhered to the Jewish faith would come flooding into Jerusalem. 
And so another group that flooded into Jerusalem at that time were Roman soldiers to make sure that peace was kept. The Passover festival celebrated when Moses showed up, right, and delivered, it was the exodus, his people across the Red Sea into freedom from their oppression and slavery in Egypt. So needless to say, the Romans, every time, every year that Passover came around, things got a little tense as people celebrated the deliverance from oppression in Egypt and hoped for their deliverance from the oppression of Rome. And so Jesus and his followers show up, they're famous by now. As if you needed to throw some gasoline on the fire, Jesus raises his friend Lazarus in spectacular fashion. Lazarus, come out, and out comes the dead man, alive, just outside of Jerusalem. Oh, wow. And that's when the religious officials realized they really had a problem. <laughs> and so here comes Jesus walking into Jerusalem. And, and maybe you know the story of the, the donkey and the palm branches and the cloaks and the shouts of Hosanna and, and welcoming this king into their gates. And, and the Pharisees had a warning for Jesus. You better tell them to get quiet. They're calling you a king. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, if, if they were silenced, even the very rocks would cry out. And he walks into the temple after that and clears it, right? He, he's tipping over tables of money changers. He's throwing things around. He's telling them they've made his father's house into a, house of, a den of thieves, right? Instead of a house of prayer. And they're like, who do you think you are? And he comes speaking these words. Woe to you. All you religious leaders, you hypocrites. And he goes down this line of all the things that he's warning them about. I just want to point out for a second though. I would suggest that he wouldn't have warned them if he didn't care about them. That he wouldn't have warned them and said, Woe to you, as in sorrow is coming upon you. Listen. He wouldn't have tried to, I mean, it was like Jesus was grabbing them by the collar and shaking them, saying, Wake up. Look at what's about to happen to you. This is his last attempt to get through to the people who just wouldn't accept the message that he had brought. And he starts pointing out the things that they were doing. You know, that they would follow the law to a T and yet miss the spirit of the law. That they would, they would for instance, tithe to the nth degree. You know, they had it hard in their day. I mean, we have it really pretty, you're going to be shocked that I say this, but those of us that tithe, we have it pretty easy today, believe it or not. I mean, you get a paycheck in American dollars, and you tithe in American dollars. <laughs> you just have some simple math there of, you know, multiply it by 0.1 and it gives you what your check should be or whatever and, and then you send it in. But for them, trying to tithe on their capital gains, 
there was almost an infinite number of things. I mean, you traded for spice, you had sheep, you had goats, you had whatever your business was. You, there were olives, there were vineyards, there were, you know, maybe you made and sold wine. Okay, so you got to tie the tenth of your wine. How does all that work, you know? And, and so he's saying that you get down to your spices and start you know, sectioning out a little bit of cumin over here or, or a little bit of, you know, paprika perhaps. So they're getting down into the details of things with their tithe and completely neglecting the bigger things like justice and mercy and love of neighbor. Hmm. They were obsessed with cleaning rituals, cleansing rituals where they would wash their dishes all the time. Now that seems wise to us. We wash our dishes too. Uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about when he criticizes it. Their thing was, it was like a ritual thing. You know, it's a clean cup, and now we're going to take some special water that has been ritually purified, and we're going to wipe the outside of the cup with it um, so that our dishes are religiously happy. So they, uh, they had all these rituals that they went through, you know, and, and Jesus was like, you're not cleaning anything, you're not doing anything, you're not fooling anybody. And that silly thing that you go through and that you do is, is a perfect example of yourself. All shined up on the outside. And all crooked on the inside. And he talks about how they claim to be the faithful guardians of the law and the prophets, and yet they're the ones that kill the prophets. Their fathers did it before them, and now they're getting ready to do it again. Harsh words. He said, Truly I tell you, all of this will come on this generation. Seems kind of unfair that the things done before you even showed up are now falling on you. The warnings and the judgment. But I kind of came to realize that Jesus is just talking about timing. Time's up. It's now in this generation when it's going to happen. When all the stuff that's been adding up through the generations finally has to be answered for. And Israel, if you don't choose my path that I'm setting forward for you, there's going to be consequences. But listen to the heart behind the warning. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often... I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you, desolate. Have you ever owned chickens? Anybody? A few? Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I certainly have not seen this. But I have read about it. <laughs> so that's worth something, right? But that when danger comes, whether it's a predator or a fire, whatever, hens will gather their chicks, hide them under their wings. I've even heard that people have found 
uh, hens burned to a crisp with chicks alive under their wings. And this, you know, Jesus grew up and there were probably chickens everywhere. Uh, that's still in much of the world today. There's chickens running everywhere if you uh, go into most cultures around the world. And he knows about this. Everyone knows about this image of a hen trying to protect her chicks. And he says, that's what I've been trying to do for you, but you won't come. You won't let me. And I think that we have to hear the heart of Jesus when we talk about these words that seem so harsh, these warnings of judgment that maybe even seem unfair. It's so important that we hear the heart of this Messiah, this King, who is speaking these harsh words. One more thing in the very next bit. See, we divide our, and I'm thankful that we do, we divide the Bible into chapters and verses, and it makes it a lot easier to all get on the same page. But when the gospel according to Matthew was put down on paper, it uh, wasn't divided so much. So, so this thought continues to flow into the next chapter, and then... 24, 1 through 2, he leaves the temple and was walking away with his disciples and his disciples came up to him and said, see all these things. See, one thing that was going on during that time was a complete restoration of the temple. And really it was way more than a facelift. It was a massive expansion. It was an incredible, one of the biggest, most significant building projects of that century was going on. And it was the biggest, baddest temple <laughs> that, that Israel had ever heard of. And, and even by Jesus' day, it was magnificent. And it wasn't even finished yet. And they were still working on some fine, finer touches. Uh, and it would be finished somewhere around 60 A.D. And this is probably around 30 or so A.D. And so, but it had already by this point been going on about 40 years and it looked amazing. And whenever you showed up, you know, if you're from Galilee and you're fishing on the lake and then you show up at Jerusalem for Passover and there's just this impressive building. You've never seen anything like it in your life. There's nothing else like it anywhere near you. Anywhere in your part of the world. And it's just breathtaking. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be broken down. This is part of his judgment, part of his warning. A lot of times we like to think that spiritual things hold spiritual consequences, but spiritual things often hold physical consequences, just as physical and material things that we do hold spiritual consequences. The, the two are not like in separate spheres completely. They intermingle and overlap and sin has a way of having all sorts of things break down in our world and in 70 AD the Romans came and broke down Jerusalem and broke down the temple that had just been completed their pride and joy and glory the place that showed that they were God's people 
came and tore it down stone by stone. Jesus warned them. They wouldn't listen. He tried to teach them a better way to live. They wouldn't take it. Will you heed Jesus' warning and avoid destruction? Sometimes judgment and warnings feel oppressive when we hear them. They're really an opportunity. They're an opportunity to lay hold of life instead of disaster. Will you heed Jesus' warning and avoid destruction? Well, what does all that have to do with us, really, though, anyway? Jesus was talking to them. They were the ones killing prophets and doing all that stuff. They were the ones not listening to him. They were the ones whose city was torn to shreds. In the book of Revelation, we have kind of the last words of Jesus given in a vision. And the first part of it is Jesus dictating letters to churches, Christian churches. One of those letters is the letter to the church in Laodicea. And its words are haunting if you ever read them. He says things like, I know your deeds, I know that you're neither hot nor cold, but just lukewarm. You think that you're rich, that you have fine clothes, but in fact, you're destitute and naked. If you would come to me, if you'd remember your first love, if you'd open the door as I stand here and knock, then I would give you clothes that will never fade. I would give you gold refined in my fires. He gives this stern warning, but it's an opportunity. At its deepest level, it's an opportunity to open the door to get back to doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. There's also countless examples throughout our New Testament of apostles of Jesus giving warnings to people. And so I'd, I don't think we can just say, well, Jesus warned them, and they got what was coming to them because they didn't listen to him, but we're good. <laughs> we would all do well to heed the warnings that we find in the gospel that we find in our New Testament. We would all do well to take inventory from time to time. Not so that we can live in guilt and shame. Brett and I were at a conference yesterday and we were talking yesterday about how guilt makes a terrible motivator for people, right? Uh, guilt, if you live in guilt, you're not making much progress, right? You're just kind of weighed down and feeling miserable all the time. And the purpose of warnings and judgment warnings of judgment is not so that you live in guilt all the time. The purpose is so you avoid destruction. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a catalyst. It's a wake-up call. It's an opportunity. The motivator is the life that's available to you. The hope 
that's held out to you. People today, we cast Jesus as a tolerant figure who's just really loving to everybody. It's important that we remember this side of Jesus as well. And in fact, I would say he might have been the least tolerant person I've ever heard of. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. But what are the warnings of the gospel? I think if we boil it down to its simplest form, it would be that sin has consequences. It has consequences for us now and forever. And we kid ourselves when we think that it doesn't, right? Some of us came in here and we feel like we're on moral high ground because, you know, we were raised that way. And we don't drink or smoke or hang out with people that do. We don't go to those parties. We go to church. I think most of those guys Jesus was warning probably would have said the same thing. So there's still warnings for us. Are we ignoring mercy and justice and love of neighbor? There's another kind of moral high ground in our world today that loves to shake their finger at, uh, you know, Christian hypocrites and self-righteous people and telling them to back off of judging anything, talking about people who are doing things that they don't approve of or whatever, and so they're the defenders of the sinners. <laughs> and that is their moral high ground. But there's a warning for that as well, because every kind of sin, not just hypocrisy, has consequences. And you can love your neighbor and not love God just as well as you can love God and not love your neighbor. Or at least you can think and fool yourself into believing that you're doing that. And finally, I think most of us would recognize that we often, like that church that perhaps Jesus was dictating that letter to, we find that we feel like we have life by the horns, right? We talked about that the other week about who has most access to the kingdom and who is quickest to enter the kingdom and it's the people who feel like you know life's got them by the horns that it's just they recognize their need for God but there's warnings to be had for those of us that feel like we've got it what we would hope for is what we're living we've got clothes we've got food we've got shelter we've got a good life And it's important for us to listen and heed the warning that those things are temporary. There's more to life than clothes. There's more to life than money. I said that Jesus is possibly the least tolerant person. That's because there was something he could not tolerate at all. And it was sin. Any kind of it. He came calling sinners to repentance. He showed them love. Yes, absolutely. 
And that's where we get messed up a lot of times. Because we like to point out sin, but we don't like to do it with love. It's hard. But ultimately, he had such a low tolerance for sin that he was willing to go to the cross. Think about it. If he could tolerate sin, why go to the cross? It's fine. The reason that he couldn't tolerate sin is because sin destroys us. It's destroying human relationships. It's destroying his good creation. I mean, we can see this everywhere. And every, I mean, the examples are endless. How many marriages have been destroyed by pornography? How many uh, people nowadays have so much trouble with eating disorders or kids that won't eat or whatever? Do you think possibly that could have anything to do with our unhealthy relationship with food? I don't know. It would make sense to me. Just think about all the problems in our world. And ask yourself if they'd still be there if everyone heeded Jesus' advice. He offers a warning not because he's a jerk. Not because he wants you to live under guilt. But because he wants you to wake up before it's too late. Will you? Jesus offers the kind of life that sin and hell stole. He's begging you to take it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your warnings and for the cross. We want to confess, God, that you are right. Our sin does lead to destruction. Holy Spirit, help us to heed the warnings and turn away from the path that leads to destruction and toward the path that leads to life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.